This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Thanks for coming back once again as we hit episode three. Uh, I am one of your hosts, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am joined by my great co-host, lead fantasy analyst here at PFF, uh, and someone I am very envious of as he is going to watch Into the Spider-Verse today, Nathan Yonke. (laughs) How are you, sir? I am doing well. Definitely excited for that. Uh, glad we're at June 1st and now some teams will have some more salary cap space. So maybe we'll have some news over the next couple of days. So haven't had too much to talk about NFL wise over the earlier this week. So glad that there might be some new stuff happening. Yeah, for sure. As much as teams can kind of designate those post June 1st cuts kind of whenever it's still, there's always a few that trickle in, right? Make things a little bit more interesting and with OTAs going on, we get a lot of the the hype videos coming out as well for some of our favorite players, which are always fun uh, to discuss too. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, it's 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 a fun time of year, the off season, and uh, yeah, there there's definitely still a lot to talk about. And um, yeah, for these for this podcast specifically, I mean, we're we're going to be continuing our our 2023 positional preview series as, as we move on to uh, the running backs. So I, I know in some football circles, they are considered to to not matter. And I have no earthly idea where that would come from. Um, but for, for the sake of fantasy football and this podcast episode uh, specifically, they, they are all that matters. And as we focus in on our rankings for this coming season, uh, we once again, kind of broken them down in, into tiers like we did last week with the quarterbacks to hopefully provide a clearer picture of how we view them relative to the field and, and give you the wonderful listener some insight into our favorite and least favorite targets uh, at the position as well. Uh, also, for the sake of this episode, it's probably worth mentioning that we're, we're again focusing on PPR scoring. Uh, we might mention other scoring systems as well, but for simplicity's sake, these are the rankings that uh, that we're going to kind of focus on is PPR. So to get kind of a better of idea of how those running backs in PPR have historically scored, to see how they differ from RB1, RB2, 3, 4, uh, on average dating back to 2013, we see that RB1 averaged about 18.1 points per game. So that number has actually kind of dropped a bit since like 2018, 2019, where it was closer to uh, almost 20 points per game. And it is being brought down a bit from the last couple of years where it's hovered around 17 points per game on average. So that that was interesting. Then as we get to RB2, it's 13.1 points per game. So a pretty significant drop off there from the top 12 to the top 24, about five points per game. Um RB3, 10.6 points per game. Not as much of a drop-off from two to three here, uh, but noticeable. And then RB4, 9.1 points per game. So the difference between RB3 and 4, not likely one that most people are feeling significant effects of uh, at just one and a half points per game on average. So 
All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get right into it here. Nate, why don't you kick us off with the names that make up your top tier of running backs from the 20 for the 2023 season? Sure. My tier one uh, features three guys. They would be the three guys that I would pick with the first three picks and they stayed out from the rest that way. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, RB1 with San Francisco. Austin Eckler's at two. Bijan Robinson's at three. And like you said, this is for PPR scoring. If we mix up the scoring a little bit, I might have those guys in a slightly different order, but they're still going to be the top three running backs basically in any format that I'm playing in. Nice. Yeah, our our top three are exactly the same. Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson. Um, I added Saquon Barkley in, into my top tier for for PPR purposes uh, to kind of to round out my my fantastic four as I'm calling them. Um, we got you know if CMC is Mr. Fantastic, Austin Eckler's the human the human torch. Saquon is the thing, and 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 Bijan is going to be Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman, because apparently we can't see him or acknowledge him until he's played a snap in the NFL. So, um, so why don't we start there? Since there there is a pretty large contingent out there that do not believe Bijan is worthy of a top five fantasy running back pick. Um, so I'll let you kind of uh, talk to to the doubters here uh, to kick us off. Sure. So we both have him number three. I know plenty of other fantasy analysts who have him that high as well. Definitely a lot of people are high on him. And I think a lot of it is the situation that he is in, in Atlanta. Um, they were the only team to run over half the time last year. Even when they were playing from behind, they were running more than anyone else by over 5%. Uh, so they are going to run the ball. They're going to keep running the ball. And that'll be even more true now that they have Robinson. They also have one of the best offensive lines in the league, especially that interior offensive line, very good at run blocking. So that's pretty much an ideal situation for him to be going in. And he was uh, the best running back prospect that we've seen, at least in the past five years. You can probably argue going back further than that, but at least the five years, I would say uh, pretty comfortable saying he's the best back in that time period. Um, some of the concerns that I have heard about him, one, Tyler Algier is also a very good running back. He played well last year. Um, Atlanta was one of the few teams that had two different running backs run for over 10 carries multiple times last year. So I could see Algier still seeing somewhere in the range of 8 to 10 carries a game, but that shouldn't stop Robinson from being this high up i know later we'll talk about running backs that also have to split time but when you're the most run heavy team in the league it's okay if you're splitting time at least a little bit so um definitely comfortable with robinson from that perspective he definitely uh is capable of being the top overall running back this year if everything goes right but even conservatively if you're drafting him that high he should be a top one of the top players in terms of touches and with the talent and the situation in Atlanta, he should also be one of the top running backs in efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, one of the top running back prospects uh, coming out in the in recent years. And, you know, I, I joked about it earlier about the running backs don't matter thing, but it is important to be mindful of it and for fantasy because it highlights that running backs can very much be a product of their system. And if that system leans into using them uh, in a workhorse role, or if they're running the ball at a high rate, then, you know, the tiebreakers for where they finish on the year basically become like health first and foremost. Um, but then their actual talent. So, 
you know, what they could do with the ball in their hands, which in Bijan's case, based on what he did in college, um, obviously exceptional numbers at 0.29 missed tackles for per attempt, a 16% explosive run rate and a 97.5 career rushing grade um, figures to be pretty translatable to the NFL Atlanta. I don't think they're going to be afraid to lean on him. I, I think it was Timo Risque here at PFF did the study a couple of years ago showing that running backs are essentially the most like NFL ready prospects across all positions, which has a lot to do with, again, them being a product of the system more so than anything else. But coaches who recognize this aren't afraid to deploy younger um, and cheaper talent at the position on a high volume of snaps more so than any other position. Then you add in like Bijan's eighth overall draft capital on the most run heavy team of 2022 behind the most, the best run blocking offensive line from last season. And, and you kind of have the exact recipe needed for him to finish as a high end RB one as a rookie. And you, you, like you said, you know, even with the team deploying a bit more of a committee last year, a lot of that could have been based more on the personnel available to them uh, because we have seen Arthur Smith lean heavily into one running back um, for that workhorse role before in, in Tennessee with, with King Derrick Henry. So the, the idea of a potential committee doesn't concern me that much. Like you said, with Bijan, I think he even has a chance to, to earn some targets in the passing game, even though that wasn't like a huge part of his game in college, he was still very effective in that role. Uh, and on the small sample size that we saw Desmond Ritter last season, he targeted the running running back position at the second highest rate in the league among quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks. So I'm with you. I think sky is the limit for Bijan. Uh, he's going as RB2 right now on underdog. So for the, you know, he hasn't played a snap in the NFL crowd. I, I think there there's there's history and and, and um, to show that it, it doesn't really matter, especially for the running back position. So um, we don't really have to kind of focus on on that being the reason to to fade him. Yeah, I'd add, uh, if you look at the last four or five running backs who were picked in the top 10, uh, they were all top 10 fantasy running backs their rookie season. And it's a situation where, yeah, they don't have a good quarterback, but if you're picking in the top 10 and picking a running back with your top 10 pick instead of a quarterback, chances are you don't have a good quarterback situation. So you only have to look at some of these other quarter or running backs that we just mentioned, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, both of them high draft picks going to a team without a great quarterback situation, excelled in their rookie year on bad teams. So even if you aren't expecting the Falcons to be that great of a team this year, he can still be a great fantasy asset and the Falcons have one of the easiest schedules in general. So that should also only help him be one of the best backs. For sure. But uh, moving on from Robinson, I uh, want to mention the other thing that we have here and that you have Saquon Barkley in this tier. I have Barkley also at running back four, but I have him closer to the running backs coming later than these elite running backs. So I want to hear why you have Barkley amongst McCaffrey and Eckler and Robinson. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we both have him as RB4. Um, I did want to include him in my top tier and, and, and not just for that really dumb, fantastic four reference, but, but because I, I do believe in the talent and the opportunity there being among the best in the league. I mean, last season, Barkley, he was the only running back in the league who averaged over 20 touches per game while also uh, hauling in over three and a half receptions per game. Um, so even after a couple, you know, injury riddled seasons, he bounced back in a big way. The Giants under Brian Dable uh, were not afraid to utilize him as a true workhorse. There's still 
isn't really an alpha wide receiver on the team that's going to command a ton of targets away from Barkley, even with Darren Waller coming in. Uh, and we've seen Daniel Jones show a lot of comfort in going to him as well. But he also got a lot of the goal line work last season too, with 55% of the team carries in those situations, which was third most carries and goal to go situations among running backs in the league. Um, health, obviously it's the main thing of course, but after playing 16 games last season, it's not, nearly the concern that it was going into last year. Uh, and I, I I do think the Giants offense could potentially be slightly better this season. Uh, I know Trevor ranked them as the most improved team in the NFL NFC East post-draft as well, even over the Eagles. Um, you got Dable coming off that coach of the year season. There's a lot, I think, to like about Barkley's situation. So I did have a tougher time convincing myself to drop him a tier, um, but I'll, I'll let you do it here and see if you can convince me. Sure. So um, with Barkley, I was definitely wrong on him last year. I had him lower than most people did. I was concerned about the injury and he played a lot better than I expected him to play. So um, he definitely did a great job that way. And like you said, he has the volume. Uh, he was fourth in rushing attempts, leading to the fourth most rushing yards, uh, third most route runs, which led him to be in the top five in targets. I think for me, it's the receiving game that I'm most concerned about. Um, the other guys that we have in this tier, McCaffrey, Eckler, they were top two in uh, basically any receiving category you look at either last year or these last couple of years. I expect Robinson to also be in that range. And Barkley, while he's a lot of volume in terms of opportunities in the passing game, uh, he was only 14th in receiving yards. Uh, he had a receiving grade somewhere in the 50s. So he really wasn't that efficient as a receiver, which led to, if you look at his uh, fantasy points per snap, it was relatively low for running backs, which the most important thing is volume. And he was getting the volume last year, but I'm worried about him losing some of that volume in the passing game this year. Uh, they drafted Eric Gray in, I think, the fifth round, and he was one of the better receiving backs in the draft. We don't think Gray will ever be an every down back in the NFL, but Gray could definitely start taking some of those third down snaps away from Barkley. And I also don't think they'll need to rely on him as much in the passing game as they did last year. Uh, they traded for Darren Waller. They have Sterling Shepard and Wandale Robinson both returning from injury added Paris Campbell, Jamison Crowder in free agency, uh, drafted Jalen Hyatt. So they have a ton more receiving options this year than they did the year before. If you look at how often their wide receivers and tight ends were targeted last year, it was at the second lowest rate among teams last year. So I could see them passing the ball more to run to wide receivers and tight ends this year and gray potentially being on the field a little bit more for Barkley compared to last year. So I think Barkley definitely still a safe pick in that he's going to see the vast majority of the carries. He's going to be efficient running with the ball. I just think that receiving production won't be as high, which brings him out of that top tier for me. But we do know early in his career, Barkley was one of the best receiving backs in the league before the injuries. So there's certainly a chance Barkley doesn't lose that volume and gains that efficiency that he once had, in which case he could be the top running back in the league next year in fantasy. But I think it's more likely that he loses some of that receiving production that he saw last year, which brings him to still running back four, just the top of tier two rather than the bottom of tier one for me. Nice. Yeah. Excellent points for sure. I, 
you may have convinced me. You may have convinced me to drop him into the next year. I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and I'll add, like, while we were prepping yeah. for this podcast, we like compared our rankings with each other, and there were at least a couple cases for both of us where we're like, okay, I should probably be moving this guy up or down because we're like, I don't think I can really defend having this guy here. So yeah. <laughs> definitely helped us having this process of comparing our rankings to each other, and already came to a consensus on a couple of guys that we weren't at a consensus a couple of days ago. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been a help to to kind of bounce uh, some of this off each other and to do this exercise. Because yeah, you definitely notice a little bit more, and you, you it makes you think, why do I have this guy here versus somebody else, uh, especially somebody like yourself who who's been doing this a lot longer and, and has a lot of success doing it. So I definitely uh, respect the take there for Barkley. Um, and yeah, let's 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 lead off uh, tier two here. Who do you have uh, starting off tier two? So like we said, I have Barkley at the top of tier two. Then I have Jonathan Taylor, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, and Derrick Henry. Nice. Yep. So for me, uh, it starts off with Josh Jacobs as RB5, Tony Pollard as RB6, Derrick Henry as RB7, Nick Chubb as RB8, and I have Jonathan Taylor way down here at RB9. So still in the RB1 and tier two area, just on the lower end uh, for me. So this is maybe, I guess, my spiciest take for the running backs. I, I really try not hard not to be the the hot take guy, but I am coming in. You know, if I am going to do it and be this far from consensus, I know he's going as RB four on underdog. Um, then I need to have you know some data and reasoning to back it up. So we'll, we'll get into that. And and you know, while the the injury thing has scared some people off of Taylor after being. He was RB one in a lot of drafts last year. That isn't really what I'm focusing on here for me. Uh, mostly for the short of it anyways, is a combination of just not looking as elite as he did in 2021 as a runner where he saw significant drop drop offs in his yards per carry uh, was like a full yard uh, drop off in yards per carry is also his yards after contact per attempt, his explosive plays um, while uh, all took a hit while also just not being as involved in the passing game. So, Focusing on the passing game, since these are PPR ranks, um, just 0.13 targets per route run was the lowest of of any running back that I have in my top 10, uh, which was tied with Nick Chubb, actually. So we, we know Chubb seeded a lot of the passing down work to Kareem Hunt, but at least there's you know this chance that Chubb could see a slight uptick there uh, now that Hunt is gone. But JT was also pretty ineffective when he did get targets in the passing game, earning just 0.56 yards per route run, also by far the lowest amongst uh, this top 10 group here. So there's concern there, but then I, I wanted to see if having like a new quarterback might help that. And, and considering Richardson profiles as, as a mobile quarterback, I wanted to look at how often mobile quarterbacks tend to target the running back position on average. So what I did was I pulled uh, quarterbacks with over 100 scrambles and over 190 total rushing attempts, uh, since that was where the obvious gap ha happened. And that that's since 2020, I should say. So that gave me Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Justin Fields, and Daniel Jones. So the average individual quarterback to team running back target rate was about 17%, uh, which none of these quarterbacks hit. And, and as a group, they all actually averaged below 15%. So it was a decent drop-off. Um, the biggest difference maker for these mobile quarterbacks I found uh, to, to, to make them target the running back was just having an elite receiving weapon at their disposal. So Daniel Jones to Saquon Barkley, for example, just last year alone uh, kind of bucked that trend. But 
Taylor doesn't really fit that profile. It also wasn't a tendency of Anthony Richardson in college at all to target the run running back for whatever that is worth. But um, so that, that that's kind of why for like these PPR tiers, I've knocked him down a bit, just losing out on some of those high value touches while also a little bit concerned that he'd lose out on maybe even more high value touches around the goal line. Um, if Richardson starts to take some of that away as well, being that mobile quarterback and considering the success that Shane Steichen had with Jalen hurts in that role last year. So I'll probably have him slightly higher in like half PPR and, and even more so in, in non PPR, but um, yeah, he still comes in as RB, as an RB one for me, just a bit on the lower end. That's fair. And I definitely agree with you with the concern with Richardson and uh, losing some of those goal line touches since Taylor uh, has a huge lead in some of those stats. So if you look at the last couple of seasons in terms of goal line touches, goal line touchdowns, but uh, Taylor uh, for me, I like him a lot because I think he can return to being the rusher that we saw earlier. Um, He had a slow start to the season, but if you look more at the middle of the season, he was starting to play better. And early in the season, offensive line was also somewhat of an issue. But in four of or the four last games that he was healthy, uh, he was running the ball at least 20 carries per game, gaining at least 80 yards rushing. Three of those four games scored a touchdown. Three of the four had at least three receptions. So by the middle of the season, we were starting to see Taylor be more of the guy that he was, even though he was coming off of an injury that he had early in the year and then, again, had injuries late in the year. So I think he can still be the kind of volume that we're hoping to see out of uh, RB1 on a team. And when you're looking at the top two tiers, we both have the same nine guys in those tiers. And I think we can probably come to a decent consensus among the fantasy community as well, since these nine guys are probably the ones that are going to see the most volume this year. And just where you have them ranked is just dependent on how good you think these guys are and what kind of opportunities you think they'll see. But I think with Taylor, I'm excited because he does have the most fantasy points per run basically of any running back in the last decade. So um, at least when you look at rushing with the ball, he's been a great player there. And the offensive line has more continuity than they've had in the past. Uh, Bernard Raymond, their left tackle, who was a rookie, uh, started off last season pretty slow, but was playing really well towards the end of the season. So I think Taylor will see an even better offensive line than he was seeing last year. And then Quentin Nelson, um, two years ago, was arguably the best guard in football. Hasn't played as well these past two years with injury, but there's at least a chance that if Nelson can be the player that he once was, then Taylor has a shot at being the top running back this season. But I don't think we can count on that. But it's also worth noting Taylor is still only 24 years old, so younger than these other running backs that we're talking about in this tier. So I think he still has opportunities to improve. And with the new coaching staff, I know we're concerned about um, Richardson taking goal line carries, but I think in general they're going to be running the ball even more than they were before. Um, Eagles, the third most run-heavy team over the past two years. And if you look at the receivers that Indianapolis has, probably one of the worst groups in the league. And it's also worth mentioning that Taylor really doesn't have all that much competition. Uh, Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, uh, drafted Evan Hull in the fifth round, but really early in his career, he was dealing with Naheem Hines, who was taking a lot of the receiving work. And I think 
Um, Taylor probably has the least amount of competition now that he doesn't have Hines to compete with anymore for passing down. So I think Taylor can still have the volume and the efficiency, but like you were saying, some of the receiving work concerns as well as the goal line concerns is for me, what's keeping Taylor out of the top tier of running backs. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And, and like you said too, like if he's healthy, you know, that could, that could make all the difference in the world too. Like you said, he dealt with the injuries last year. So that could have definitely hurt some of those efficiency metrics um, that I knocked him for as well. So that's a good call. Um, all right, let's go to tier three. Sure. Starting off tier three, I have Brees Hall as my running back 10 followed by Ramondre Stevenson, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, uh, Jameer Gibbs, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Kenneth Walker. So they range from RB10 to RB17, all running backs who are excellent running backs, but probably have one concern or another, a lot of them being another running back in the backfield competing with them for snaps. Yep. Um, pretty similar names for me in tier three. I got Brees Hall with the Jets as RB10, and then it goes to Ramondre Stevenson, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Jameer Gibbs. Um, I guess the well, where where would you want to start? I guess we could talk about Brees Hall since he's at the top there. Um, we we both have him as as RB ten. I think we're on the you know cautiously optimistic side of his twenty twenty three availability, and and you know there's news and and video coming out of him already taking part in OTAs and apparently hitting twenty two miles per hour on the GPS. It feels like that he'll be ready to start the year. Obviously, the main thing is probably going to be trusting his new ACL to cut and move the way he was last season. But I, I think him already being out on the field and working it out at this point in the off season is a really positive sign. Um, of course, if he isn't fully healthy or they ease him in, then RB10 or lower makes a lot more sense. But if he can get back to where he was at last season before the injury, uh, then RB10 is probably too low for a player of his caliber after, you know, leading the league in yards per carry, yards after contact per attempt and explosive run rate. Uh, and then also the work that he does in the receiving game, he ranked third in targets per route run and second in yards uh, per route run. So he, he was incredible last year. I, I know you have him as, as dynasty RB2 just behind Bijan. So you got to be pretty excited about potentially having him back uh, to start the season as well. Right. Yeah. I think he definitely has the upside of the running backs that we listed above him. It's just the risk involved with it. Um, we fairly consistently see running backs um, take a step back the year after they have an ACL injury. And then it's the year after that, that they start playing just as well as they were before, if not better. So um, I do think call will take a step back in terms of his efficiency, which isn't great, but I think he's capable of being a top overall running back, top three running back. Um, if he's able to fully recover, there's a chance that it happens this year. If not, I definitely think it'll happen at some point during his career. It's just really hard to justify taking him over someone like Nick Chubb, who we know how good Nick Chubb is. We know how much Cleveland will run the ball. They don't have Kareem Hunt anymore. So just when you compare him one against one to some of these other running backs, they're just other running backs in tier two that are a lot safer compared to someone coming off of the ACL injury. But Hall definitely has the same upside as those running backs, just with a bit more risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other guy that uh, was different for this tier, at least, um, you had Kenneth Walker in tier three. I left Kenneth Walker out of um, my tier three. So uh, would you like to 
talk about Walker in a positive light, and then I'll, I guess I could share my concerns with him. Sure. So definitely the big concern is they uh, drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round. So that'll lead to a lot more competition than what he had for a lot of last year. Um, For me, it was a lot of looking at what the Seahawks have done historically at running back these past couple of seasons, even when they've had two good players Um, going back last year, start of 2022, it was still a clear penny was number one. Walker was only seeing a little bit of playing time despite being that second round rookie. And it wasn't until Penny was dealing with injuries that we really started to see Walker take off, um, go back a year earlier when Penny was still doing some good stuff, but Carson was still the clear lead running back those first couple weeks. Then after that, it was Alex Collins was the clear lead running back middle of the season. And it wasn't until late in the season where we saw Penny have his huge breakout, Um, Even in 2020, they added Carlos Hyde, but Carson was still averaging over 15 fantasy points per game. And the only time that I could really see where they were clearly giving two backs significant playing time was middle of 2019 over a couple of weeks where uh, Penny was healthy over a couple of weeks and Carson was also playing. And in that time, both players were top 15 running backs. So I think Walker will still be able to see enough opportunities for you to be comfortable starting him. I think best case scenario is he's still seeing a clear majority of rushing plays, in which case running back 17 is probably too low for him. But I think even if he's splitting time, then he could still be worthy of being a fantasy starter. I think probably the biggest concern is that we still see DJ Dallas playing significantly on third downs where ideally Um, either one of these former second round picks are able to play the third down so that they're both able to have some significant fantasy value. It's just, if we start seeing a very clear split where it's like one guy, one drive, one guy, the other drive, and then Dallas coming in whenever it's third down or two minute drills that we would really start seeing a problem. And I think in that case, Walker isn't worth running back 17, but I think the upside is there for him to be a top 10 running back most likely case is he's somewhere in this RB 17 range, but there's also the risk that he's lower than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, the concerns with me are more to be, I guess, optimistic about Charbonnet. And it's not that I love either guy really, to be honest. I, I, I think I have uh, uh Walker as RB 22 um, Charbonnet is like RB 38 or something like that for me this year. So I'm really not high on, on either one of them, but I do like what you said there about Seattle's history and, and utilizing um, these backs. So I guess the way that I'm, I'm focusing on it, I, I do think Walker will still get the bulk of the carries. And, and, you know, he was a decent as a rusher last year, just not like truly eye popping numbers, but decent. Um, the, the concern for me is that, you know, he ran like a healthy amount of routes last season. Once he got that starting role after week four, I think he was 16th among running backs in total routes run, uh, even though it wasn't like a real part of his game coming out of college. And it, it kind of showed in his efficiency numbers last year as well. He was below average in targets per route run yards per route run and, uh, was getting just under two receptions per game where Charbonnet on the other hand does kind of boast like a decent receiving profile coming out of UCLA. 
um, averaged over three and a half receptions per game in 2022, 320 receiving yards and a 77.2 receiving grade. So for comparison, Walker was just above one reception per game during his final year uh, for in college for a 61.8 receiving yard uh, grade and then just to- 89 total yards. So I, I do think Charbonnet basically just plays enough of a role. Um, you know, he was PFF's number three running back heading into the draft uh, because of his workhorse potential. And I, I, I think should pretty much almost be a lock to take away the bulk of the receiving snaps from Walker. And then it's just a matter of how much more snaps we might see him take in other areas. Like you said, are they going to, are they going to alternate drive to drive or, um, or two minute drills going to play a factor as well. So for now, I, I still like Walker as an RB two. just again, he comes in probably on the lower end uh, range for me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fair enough. All right, let's and go I to... I guess we'll move on to tier four. Yeah. yeah. Where I have uh, Damian Pierce at RB18, um, Miles Sanders now with the Panthers, RB19, uh, J.K. Dobbins at 20, uh, Javante Williams, uh, Cam Akers, Dalvin Cook, David Montgomery, and then James Conner at RB25. Nice. Yeah, I started off my tier four uh, with Javante Williams. I guess I'm maybe a little bit more optimistic that he'll be healthy. Uh, And then Damian Pierce is after that, uh, followed by Dalvin Cook uh, as RB19, Miles Sanders, RB20, James Conner, RB21. This is where Kenneth Walker comes in at RB22. And then J.K. Dobbins, RB23, and Cam Akers, RB24. So I guess we could start with kind of focusing on the Dalvin Cook situation. Does that make sense? Uh, Sure. And for those who haven't been keeping up, uh, Cook, it sounds like the team may be cutting him or trading him, and that might be happening even as soon as later today or within the next couple of days. Now that we're past the June 1st mark, um, they've been wanting him to take a pay cut after his um, not-as-efficient play these past two years, um, have been hyping up Alexander Madison recently, and I know we talked about uh, Cook on the podcast two weeks ago, but uh, there is a rumor that he could go to the Miami Dolphins. They seem like the one team that is interested in him. So uh, wondering what you think about Cook potentially being in Miami. Yeah, so that that was one where, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind it because I think he'll have the opportunity, obviously, to, to remain kind of the lead back. But, you know, Miami wasn't really one of the more run-heavy teams last year. And especially if two is going to be healthy, they have Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. The offense kind of runs through those guys. I do worry, like you said, about Dalvin Cook's um, efficiency a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I have him as RB19, but I'm also kind of on like the the wait and see which is probably being a little too optimistic for him uh staying in minnesota and and just kind of waiting to drop him until they actually drop him um i could probably afford to move him down a, a little bit because i do think rb19 is 
probably not likely if he goes anywhere other than Minnesota. Um, even if it is Miami, it's a, it's a good offense, but um, it's how he'll fit in there. And there are a few other uh players that that could touch the ball as well and and obviously the volume isn't as high for for run uh run opportunities in miami either so um i think i'll probably end up moving dalvin cook down a little bit from where i have him uh right now fair and like for me having him at rb23 is probably hedging of the different possibilities there is still definitely a chance that he decides to take a pay cut because his opportunity in Minnesota to make money still could be higher than anywhere else. So um, there's definitely a chance he stays in Minnesota. I think he he ends up in Miami. I probably have him a little lower than this. Um, Miami, after they traded for Jeff Wilson last year, uh, Wilson and Mostert were RB 33 and 35 respectively last year while they were splitting playing time. Uh, they added uh, A-Chain in the draft in the third round, so he's definitely going to be part of the running back rotation, regardless of if Cook shows up or not. And they did keep four running backs for most of last year, so it's possible that we see even a three- or four-man rotation in, in Miami if this happens. Like, Mostert is um, maybe the oldest running back in the NFL at this point, if not one of the oldest, but he was still a pretty efficient runner when he was rushing, even though it didn't lead to much fantasy production, but I could still see Mostert being involved in the run game, even if they add cook. So, um, I don't think cook will see the same opportunities in Miami that he saw in Minnesota. Um, I think it's a somewhat downgrade to the offensive line as well. So I think um, if he ends up in Miami, I'm not even sure he's a fantasy starter anymore. Um, Minnesota is probably his best chance for a uh, significant playing time, but I could also see him going somewhere like uh, Tampa Bay where he could potentially see a decent amount of playing time or if he just got cut and then waited for a team to have an injury at running back, that could also be potential for a significant playing time for cook. Yeah. I'm with you. I, 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 don't think I'd be crazy about the the Miami landing spot like you said it 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 looks nice on paper because he's the you know the biggest name among the depth chart but like you said just noticing you know how they deploy their running backs and and the other bodies that they have there it's not as optimal as as it might seem so um I'm good with with dropping him for sure um yeah, let's go to what about David Montgomery you got him inside of uh, inside of this tier I do not um Yep. So, and he's the second Lions running back that we have, but yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with um, his similarities to Jamal Williams and how Jamal Williams was a touchdown machine for them last year. So I could see, even though they drafted a running back as high as they did in the draft, I could still see Montgomery being the one taking the touchdowns. Um, They weigh, if you look at sources, even though the sources aren't always accurate in terms of players' weight, but they weigh exactly the same. Uh, Montgomery and Jamal Williams, only one inch difference in their height, so I could see uh, Montgomery definitely taking that short-yarded situation. Um, he had the third highest rate last year of uh, not losing yards on his runs, as well as the third highest rate of gaining at least one yard on his run. Um, that's also a stat that Jamal Williams has fared well in in recent years, so uh, Montgomery in a lot of ways is similar to Williams in that I'd argue in general, Williams is probably a little bit better of a runner and Montgomery a little bit better of a receiver, but um, I think Montgomery will still see plenty of opportunities in a two man backfield. And Williams was definitely a lot higher than RB 20 last year because of the touchdowns. 
I doubt Montgomery scores twice quite as many touchdowns this year, but I think he can get a little bit more work in the receiving game to help make up for it. And it's also a situation where if there's an injury in the backfield, Montgomery has a chance to be at least a top 10 fantasy running back. So I think I like Montgomery because I think he can be a fantasy. I think both Lions running backs can be fantasy starters as long as they're both playing well. And with that touchdown potential, that'll be huge for Montgomery this year. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. I like the, I like uh, David Montgomery in that kind of Jamal Williams role. I guess the, the concern for me kind of comes from like everywhere else in his game, you know, um, and I, I do have probably a bit of a theme here early on with really liking these, these the potential of these kind of rookie running backs, at least the top three that is. So th- that's why I've kind of cooled on him a little bit, uh, Montgomery, that is, with the Lions spending the 12th overall pick on, on Jameer Gibbs. So just kind of hearkening back to, to what I was talking about with Bijan and, and teams not being afraid to get their rookie running backs on the field kind of early and often. I think spending a 12th uh, overall pick on, on Gibbs tells us a lot about how the Lions value him for their offense, which I don't think anyone expected him to go that high. And um, I, I, I mean, I don't know that Montgomery would have played like a huge part in the receiving game even prior to Gibbs being drafted, but now you could pretty much lock that role in for Gibbs. Um you know, he's, he is, he's not just a top end receiving weapon Gibbs that is, but he's no slouch as a rusher either. I mean, he did have a career 91.4 rushing grade at Alabama, 15% explosive run rate. Um, four, three speed certainly helps his case for carries as well. You know, I know he's just under that 200 pound mark where we can really kind of feel comfortable about him being an every down workhorse, but I don't think it's impossible for him to, to steal touches from Montgomery, who is, been a bit more like a compiler at the position more than anything for most of his NFL career um, outside of that 2020 season, which I think was his best year, but um, you know, four yards per carry 2.9 yards after contact per attempt, eight and a half explosive run rate last year, all kind of average to below average for the position. Um, so that that's kind of been the norm for him without that near, you know, 15 touches per game that he was getting. I'm probably not as high on him. I think he comes in as RB 34 for me, which is definitely low. Um, but it's definitely cause I'm a little bit more bullish on Gibbs being able to do uh, more than just be, be a receiving back in that offense, basically. That's fair. And I think we can agree that with the Lions offense, it's probably one of the most friendly situations to running backs for fantasy football purposes. It's one of the best offensive lines in the league in general, which will help their running backs uh, be able to succeed that way. They like to get the ball in the running back's hands, both in the run game and the pass game. So we saw uh, plenty of times last year or in recent years in general, where both of their running backs were seeing excellent fantasy games, both ending up in the top 15 or top 20 in the same week, sometimes even both top five in the same week. So um, I think it's capable of both backs having success at the same time. And I agree with you. I think Montgomery is probably the backup in most situations, but I think even if he's the backup in most situations, while getting the goal line carries, that's still better than a number of other situations that there are for starting running backs in the NFL. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, All right, let's go to tier five. Sure, so tier five, we have Isaiah Peccio starting things off at running back 26, uh, Rashad White at 27, uh, DeAndre Swift with the Eagles after that, then James Cook, uh, Jamal Williams now with the Saints, um, Alexander Madison, who another guy who could be moving up a lot or down a lot, depending on how this Dalvin Cook situation 
pans out and then ending with uh, Rashad Penny also with the Eagles at RB 32. Thanks. All right. So yeah, mine's a little bit different because I put Alvin Kamara in here, just kind of waiting on the news of the suspension. So he comes in as RB 25 for me. Then I have Isaiah Pacheco, uh, Rashad White, James Cook, Rashad Penny. So all the same names there. And then I have uh, Khalil Herbert and Brian Robinson um, in this tier for me as well. So no DeAndre Swift for me, um, but uh, you you do have him in here. Uh, What do you like about uh, DeAndre Swift? Sure. So uh, this tier is kind of in two parts. Uh, Pacheco and White are both the clear, like they probably will see significant carries and significant playing time. I don't know if they have the upside to be a top 10 fantasy running back this year, but I think they're relatively safe to see a lot of volume where a lot of the other guys on this list, I think have a lot more high upside, but also lower floors. So I think Swift falls in that category um, as well as Penny with Philadelphia in that uh, they have arguably the best offensive line in the NFL, one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL. Uh, We saw Miles Sanders have plenty of success last year, even though um, he's a decent back but not one of the best backs in the NFL. But we've seen uh, Swift do have a lot of big play potential um, over the past three seasons, uh, second in touchdowns per attempt, uh, second in 30-yard runs per attempt, uh, benefited from also having the second most yards before contact per attempt, but that should be something that continues on in Philadelphia. So I think a lot of it will just depend on how these carries get distributed. We've seen both Swift and Penny deal with a lot of injuries in recent seasons, so we could see times where it's just one of them seeing the vast majority of the carries, or we could see a three or four man rotation at times. So it's really uh, one of the bigger gambles with some of the highest upside in that if Penny or Swift can become the RB one and take the majority of carries, they could be one of the better fantasy running backs if they can also stay healthy because of the situation. But We've seen both of them have big play potential, but also both of them uh, could be injured at some point or fall to third on the depth chart and really not do much this year as well. So just a huge range of possibilities. But I think right around RB30 is when you start taking chances on those guys who, yeah, they might not ever be a fantasy starter for you this year, or they could be one of the better running backs in the league. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is one I, I guess I was surprised by just looking at his ADP, right? His he's RB22 on underdog. Um, I guess I just didn't expect people to be that in on Swift. I, you know, I get that he's a former Georgia Bulldog in Philadelphia, so they love him there automatically, but taking him as like RB2 inside that top 24 feels steep to me. Um it, it kind of tells me, you know, everybody's expecting his numbers to kind of copy and paste a little bit from last year to this year. I guess I'm just not as optimistic that that'll happen. It doesn't seem, you know, like you are as well. Like you said, the range of outcomes is is pretty wild for these guys. And you have them outside that top 24 as well. Um, I'm a little bit lower. I think I have them as RB33. So I, I'm coming in, I think, with this episode, the, the pessimist of the groups <laughs> somehow. But um, I, I do... You know, with Swift, it's interesting. I, I feel, you know, the Lions had no problem repla- replacing him and, and trading him away for essentially like a, just a fourth round pick. So 
provides a little bit of an idea of how the NFL is valuing him. But uh, I'm also kind of optimistic that Rashad Penny will be good to go for the start of the season. Like you said, you know, he he was good last year. Um, you know, whether he's healthy or not for the entire year is a completely different story altogether. Um, but if he's out there, he did look good, uh, albeit it was just like five games, but it was probably enough to earn him a lot of carries once he's healthy. Whereas, you know, Swift to me, profiles more as kind of like a receiving specialist and that is great for PPR, but it was also, you know, it wasn't a common tendency of the Eagles offense last season either. And, you know, considering the number of weapons that they have in the passing game, I don't know how many opportunities that's going to lead to on a weekly basis. So I guess I'm just pretty skeptical that he'll be worthy of that RB two capital as he goes to a new offense. And, you know, maybe RB 33 is low too, like you said, considering the potential outcomes and the, and the health of that backfield. But um, yeah, just anywhere after RB, you know, 25, 26, I think is fine, but a little bit, anything earlier than that feels a little too steep for me. Yeah. And I think this is a good example of why best ball ADP will be different from redraft ADP since Mm -hmm. in redraft, you're just trying to beat the 11 people in your league or nine other people in your league or however many it is. So if you're getting a running back in this range, they're either your number two running back, in which case you um, got a good roster in terms of players at other positions, or you're already getting a third running back. So Mm There are guys that we had at the end of tier four, guys like James Conner, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins. They might not have the same upside as Swift, but they're also a lot safer than Swift in that they're the clear top running backs on their team without a ton of competition. We've seen what they can do in the past. They've had the ups of being a top 10 running back. They might not have the talent to be the top five. Chances are they're going to be good enough to be fantasy starters for you, where in best ball, you're trying to beat a lot more people than just the 10 or so people in your league. So you need to take more risk and try to get someone who you're drafting later, but hopes they're a top five player at their position. And Swift arguably has a better chance at that than Mm -hmm. guys like Akers and Connor and Dobbins. But it's just trying to weigh that risk versus that upside. And depending on what kind of contest you're in or competition you're in, depends how risky you're willing to get. So I think that's why we both are lower on Swift here compared to best ball ADP. But right now we're more focusing on redraft. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. And um, yeah, I guess somebody else too, like that I was, I was kind of focusing on as, as a player with potential upside and why I put him in this tier was Khalil Herbert. Um, So, you know, Chicago definitely has one of the more ambiguous backfields right now with uh, Herbert, Deontay Foreman, and and even uh, rookie Roshan Johnson and all in the mix for touches. I personally usually like to try and grab the cheapest running back from these ambiguous backfields, but Herbert's kind of the one that I'm willing to bet on this year, just based on, you know, his familiarity with the offense and and what he's been able to do so far in the NFL. If you look at just last year, averaging under 11 touches per game, but he posted uh, 5.7 yards per carry. 3.7 yards after contact per attempt, really good missed tackles force per attempt as well at 0.19. And then in a a 17% explosive run rate as well. So really strong numbers, definitely better than, than Deontay Foreman last season as well. Um, he's coming in higher than consensus for me as well. I know he's RB 40 right now on underdog. So this is maybe me 
planting a flag more than anything that he'll be able to come away with the large majority of touches in that offense and be the top back this season. Uh, like I said, a lot of the ambiguous backfields, I'm happy to take the cheaper option, but Herbert is he's one I, I like quite a bit for this season. So I'm trying to kind of scoop him up uh, where I can in hopes that he'll come close to 70% of the carries on a weekly basis. Maybe not that high, but at least close. So the good thing right now is you probably don't have to take him at RB30 if you're a believer in him, but I did want to kind of separate him a little bit more in these tiers um, from the rest of the Bears back, so I'm at least not hedging um, for once, apparently. Fair enough. And I think, like, Herbert, if you look at any of his rate stats, they really stand out. So, like, if I was in charge of the Bears, I'd be giving Herbert the clear majority of the carries. I'm just concerned since part of our job is also trying to predict what the team will do. And they added three different running backs with Foreman. They added uh, Rashawn Johnson in the fourth round of the draft, who's a little bit of a bigger back. And then they also added Travis Homer, who's a clear receiving back, a little bit of a special teamer as well. But none of the other backs that they have are really clear receiving backs as well. So I could see Homer being part of that mix in terms of playing time in the offense. So um, probably my biggest concern is uh, some of the goal line work since both Foreman and Johnson are a little bit bigger backs than Herbert. So I could see either one of them getting more of the goal line carries. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're in a situation where end of year we have Herbert leading the team in carries, uh, Foreman leading the league, or not leading the league, leading the team in touchdowns, uh, rushing outside of maybe even Fields. Fields could also very well lead the team in rushing touchdowns. So Fields also plays a decent factor when we're talking about any of these Bears running backs, but also a homer playing a decent amount on third downs. And in that case, Herbert might only be a borderline fantasy starter so for me um like i was saying we had the two safer backs in tier five and then for me it was just the high upside who could potentially be one of those top backs and i think herbert can only get there if he starts improving significantly as a receiver which uh he probably could be a decent receiver he just hasn't been that so far in his career and it was also just an interesting situation chicago last year where they would have David Montgomery for the first two drives every game. It wasn't even a rotation during those drives. It was almost all Montgomery, unless it was like a huge long drive. And then Herbert would always get the third drive. So there was never, and they were doing that a bit two years ago as well. So it was never a point where they were okay having Herbert ahead of Montgomery. He was always the clear number two guy on the team. And they never really gave him a chance to be the top guy in terms of where they started rotating him in. So I just, um, for me, a matter of how the coaches see Herbert compared to how we see Herbert and the fact that they brought in three running backs makes me concerned about how they see Herbert. But if they give Herbert the chance that we think he deserves, then I think you'd definitely be right that he should be in the top 30 running backs in fantasy. It's just a concern of where the coaches see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. They have they haven't shown a, a, a belief in him yet. So that I guess just being optimistic there. But um, yeah, what else we got here? We got uh, Alvin Kamara. So we could talk about the Saints running back situation and then Brian Robinson. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's go with the Saints first and that sure. we both have a different Saints back in this tier without any Saints backs to this point. 
Um, I guess I'll go ahead and start with Williams. And a lot of this probably has more to do with Kamara than it does Williams at this point, since um, Kamara hasn't run as well in the past few years as he has in years past, was at four yards per carry and under four yards per carry these past two years compared to um, the great numbers he was putting up earlier in his career. Uh, Similarly, was consistently among the top receiving backs the past two years, his receiving production has plummeted while they've given him more opportunities in the run game. So um, I think just his quality of play has been an issue, and I wouldn't be surprised if the salary cap wasn't as much of an issue. They could potentially have cut him at this point. Um, if they cut him now um, without the June 1st designation, they'd be losing more money than they'd be gaining against the cap this year. And now if they cut him with that June 1st designation, they still wouldn't have any cap savings this year. That would just be dead money this year and dead money next year. So I wouldn't be surprised if a big reason why he's still on the team is salary cap. Um, We know that uh, looming suspension is a big reason why some of us are low on Kamara as well. Um, Last I've seen, he has a trial date on July 31st. So it still might be a little bit before we get um, any word on what the suspension will be. But I think for me, a lot of it is just remembering that there's changes in running backs all the time. Kamara was RB1 as recently as 2020, but we also saw guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Mike Davis, Melvin Gordon, all top 20, top 14 backs that year. All of those are free agents now. And like James Robinson, Dalvin Cook, also among the top backs then. We aren't even talking about James Robinson today and Dalvin Cook. Uh, we already talked about him not being as high as he once was. So um, I'm definitely concerned that Kamara could fall significantly, but he really hasn't had much competition recently. It's been Mark Ingram as the number two and Jamal Williams is much better at this point in his career than Mark Ingram at his older age for a running back. They also added Kendra Miller. So that's why I'm more down on Kamara. And I think Williams has a chance to be the leader in terms of both rushing and receiving since he's a pretty balanced running back. Um, Definitely a chance that Miller is able to take significant playing time year one, but I think for me, Williams is the safest back in this backfield. And I think he has the upside in that the Saints decided to invest in him this year. And they have a decent enough offense and similar to Atlanta, where they have an excellent schedule this year, where I expect them to be close in basically all of their games. So um, I think Williams should see plenty of opportunities for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and with me, I mean, Kamara, uh, he's a little bit higher, probably another case of me not kind of reacting until there's like official news, but also playing it a little bit safe and, and hedging a bit there. And uh, There's obviously a good chance he'll get suspended. I just have no clue how long that suspension is going to be. So that's why I'm kind of on the fringes of RB2 with him. But absolutely, Jamal Williams, um, I think RB42 on underdraft right now feels really low. Um, I have him as RB37. I know you're in at RB30 here. So I don't mind taking him somewhere in that range as well. Like for all the reasons you just said, we, we're, we're going to expect Kamara to miss time. It's just a matter of how much. And, um, and even if he is in there, if they lighten his load as a rusher, uh, considering his relative ineffectiveness in that area that you highlighted as well last year, um, that could be a big part of it as well. So, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think I do. I'm going to probably end up moving Jamal Williams up a little bit. Definitely got to move Kamara back down. Um, yeah, we don't know how long the suspension will be, but 
feels like it'll be at least significant, right? Yeah. And even without the suspension, I'm just worried that yeah. it's about time since Kamara just hasn't been playing as well recently. And sure. it could just be money that he's on the roster and they just invested in running backs where they were not doing that before. Yeah. But um, we'll close out going in depth on a running back. Do you want to say why you have Robinson in your tier five? Sure. Yeah. So Brian Robinson, um, I, I like him a little bit more than, than consensus probably at, at RB 31. And not that I'm like a huge believer in his talent, but more so the opportunity than anything else, which there isn't really a lot of in this range. So last season he was averaging nearly 18 touches per game, which was among the best in the league. I mean, it was even more than Ramondre Stevenson, Travis Etienne, guys like that. But the problem was that he just wasn't overly efficient with his touches, right? At, at below four yards per carry, just 2.7 yards after contact per attempt, 0.13 missed tackles forced per attempt, and then like a really low explosive rush rate below 9%. So all of those are below average numbers. I, I mean, I know he's coming off the, the gunshot wounds as well, so can't really speak on how much that plays a part in his ability to run the ball, run the ball but I imagine maybe some um, uh, because he was, he was actually much more effective than that at Alabama. I'll be interested to see how much of that ineffectiveness actually carries into this year, whether it does, it does it all. And most importantly for me, Washington didn't really add to their backfield a ton. They, you know, they, they brought, Chris Rodriguez in, in the draft out of Kentucky, that was a sixth round pick. Antonio Gibson is still there to get the pass catching role, but I'm not too concerned about Robinson's chances to get touches and, and potentially perform even better this year. I, I, you know, the opportunity is obviously key, especially in this range. And if you look at players who had at least hundred touches in 2022, nobody had a higher touch rate, um, which is receptions plus carries per snap than, than Brian Robinson last year, which is pretty crazy. 63.2% um, was his touch rate when he was on the field. So if he can improve those efficiency metrics, I, I think he has an excellent shot to outperform his ADP and potentially even get into that maybe 25 to 30 range at worst. Um, I know he was, he was RB 33 uh, last year from week six on, and that's with the, the inefficiency. So if he can improve, there get a little bit better on the field i think there's a chance for him to kind of outperform this this adp a fair bit that's fair for me um a lot of it has to do with upside since i agree i think he'll perform better this year um i was looking at uh weeks 10 to 17 when i was looking at his numbers and um he started off a little slow in terms of playing time and then it really picked up in the middle of the season that's when he started seeing uh, 20 carries more often than not. And he was still only RB 27 over that time. So I expect that efficiency to go up and for him to, I think, assuming he stays healthy, he'll be better than RB 31 this year. I just don't see that upside of him being a top 15 or top 20 running back. A lot of it having to do with his work in the receiving game. He averaged a target a game last year. Antonio Gibson's going to remain the receiving back. They've been hyping Gibson up even more as a receiver this offseason, which could just be offseason talk. But even then, I still expect Gibson to be the receiving back. Robinson to play more on rushing downs. And so this is one where if we're looking at standard rankings, we'll see a decent difference. But for me, a lot of tier five is looking at that upside of who can potentially be a top 10 back, who can potentially be a top 15. And I just don't see Robinson getting to those heights outside of an Antonio Gibson injury. So I think 
because I don't see the upside that high. I don't have Robinson as high, but I think in terms of most likely outcome, I think most likely he'll be right around in the RB 25 to RB 30 range in terms of if every running back were to stay healthy, which we know won't happen. So a lot of what we're talking about for possibilities assumes that there aren't injuries, which there always will be. So really the top 20 running backs are whichever of these top 30 stay healthy this year, but yeah, absolutely. Health is definitely the biggest factor, right? So, um, yeah, that I mean, that's pretty much everybody that we want to talk about. We can we can just cut, kind of close out by just going over the the last players in our final tier here, tier six, um, which will give us exactly forty players uh, on the day. Who's uh, your tier six? First, so I have Kamara starting it off at RB thirty three, uh, Zach Charbonnet at RB thirty four, uh, AJ Dillon at thirty five. Uh, Brian Robinson, who we just talked about at 36, uh, Samaje Piran, who is now with Denver and could potentially be their starter, just depending on the health of Williams. So he's at 37 for me, uh, Herbert 38, and then Jarek McKinnon and Damian Harris now with the Bills, closing out the last two spots. Nice. Yeah. So I put uh, Alexander Madison at 32. Uh, DeAndre Swift is there, 33. And then it's David Montgomery at 34. Samaje Pirine, AJ Dillon, uh, Jamal Williams, Zach Charbonnet, uh, Jarek McKinnon. And then I put uh, Antonio Gibson uh, into that spot. So that's our, our top 40. Um, it's another position group down. Running backs, I, I know, are a, they're a fun one. I, I hope everyone you know who tuned in uh, found it fun as well, but mostly, hopefully, found it helpful as we all try to get a better grasp on this year's fantasy running backs before draft time really kicks off. I know I'll be adjusting my ranks uh, throughout the offseason as well, especially as uh, Nathan and I kind of go through this process, this exercise, and, and talk more positional groups. So um, another fun one, Nathan, uh, uh, you know, Thank you for for doing this again. Obviously, if anybody has any questions or anything, you can always reach out to Nathan or I on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate Yonke and at PFF underscore Macri. We're here to help people win their leagues. Uh, Always feel free to reach out. Um, and you could find all of our written content and rankings on pff.com. Uh, Nate, I know you were on holiday last week, but uh, what do you have coming up for this week on the site? Sure. So I'll have a uh, super flex rankings coming out and in general, uh, working on updating all of my rankings in general, like you said, going through this process, someone like Joe Mixon, who we didn't really talk about, mm-hmm. but it's seeming more and more likely he ends up in Cincinnati. So he's been inching up my rankings. So making those kind of adjustments, even though it's um, early June right now. So um, working on updating those rankings. And also in general, we talked about our top 40 guys here, but I know we both have more than 40 guys ranked on the website. So if you want to hear even more about who we have beyond the top 40, definitely uh, check the articles that we have out and check our rankings out there so you can get even more guys than who we talked about today. Yeah, for sure. I, I got everything up on the site now. Running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight end tiers are all up uh, in article form for me uh, from last week. And then this week, all of my IDP rankings and tiers are up on the site, or they should be by the end of this week. So defensive line, linebacker, defensive back tiers um, will all be up by the end of this week. So we got you covered on all fantasy football fronts here at PFF, and hopefully you'll check out those and utilize them for your upcoming drafts. Uh, thank you again to Nate for joining me. And most of all, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, next week, we move 
move on to the wide receiver positional preview and learn why I have Justin Jefferson outside of the top 20. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I never do that. Um, but even without the hot take, I hope you'll all still tune in on that one. And I am looking forward to it. We'll see you all then. Peace out.